Hello and welcome to another episode of the Backcheck the Hockey History Podcast where we evaluate cases for the Hockey Hall of Fame. My name is Riley. I am with Bill. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right. Thanks. And today we have a 19, the 1988 class, and it's a big one. Um, it's Buddy O'Connor, Brad Park, Tony Esposito, RIP, and Guy Lafleur. And uh, it just so happened, just completely a coincidence, that we are talking about Tony Esposito the same week that he um, that he died. Uh, but I guess that that works out. Um, so we're going to start today with Buddy O'Connor. And Buddy O'Connor is interesting um, for many reasons, one of which is that uh, he was the first Veterans Committee inductee. And that, of course, lasted for not that long. I don't know, 15 years-ish, something like that. But it it's notable because, of course, we have spent many, the last, I don't know, seven or eight episodes, like, thinking that a, a majority, if not close to... Like, Close to 75 or 80 percent of the people inducted by that committee probably didn't belong in the Hall of Fame. So <laughs> this is the guy. This is Patient Zero. This is the guy who started it. Uh, he played from 1941 to 1951, um, ten seasons, nine quality for the Canadians and the Rangers. Um, when he retired, he was ninth all time in assists and 24th all time in points. But that's only 397 points in 509 games, as we've talked about many times in the 30s and 40s. Uh, it was very common to not be a point per game player. Um, now, obviously, he doesn't qualify for hockey references point per game leaderboards, but if you uh, lower the qualifiers enough so he did, he would be seventh all time in assists per game at his retirement. And it's also important to note that people who played in the 30s and 40s rank, like just absolutely dominated those uh, all time leaderboards and assists because more assists were given out as of 1929 or 30 than had ever been previously, uh, like in the teens and 20s. So it's not really a surprise that somebody who was known as a passer as he was, he has uh, not quite double the number of assists as he has goals, um, would be up that high. So his 82-game average is 64 points, which obviously is well, well below the uh, point per game. His three-year peak, on the other hand, is 55 points through 50 games. So he was a point-per-game player briefly um, for... Let me just see the number of seasons. Literally three seasons, uh, two of which were next to each other, and one of which was uh, a few years later, the year he won the heart, which we will get to. Um, but it's also worth noting that those two of those three seasons, his two best offensive seasons, were during World War II, when, as we've said many times, a bunch of people were not in the league. They were in the military, and so he, the score, scoring went up. Playoffs. He was 21st all-time in goals at his retirement, playoff goals, 13th all-time in assists, and 16th all-time in points, which all sounds very good, but it was only 36 points in 53 games with because of the same reason. Scoring was quite low. Um, if you adjust the per-game qualifiers uh, for the playoffs so that he uh, qualified, uh, he was 13th all-time in playoff assists per game and 13th all-time in playoff points per game, which once again looks very good those qualifiers, as we've noted with other guys from this period, would still be too high for uh, the guys who played in the 20s, who absolutely, some of whom absolutely dominated the playoffs and points per game because their uh, Stanley Cup games didn't count. Um, playoff era-wise, he's ninth in playoff goals, ninth in playoff 
uh, goals per game, seventh in assists and fifth in points. Or sorry, fifth in assists per game and eighth in points. So he's a top ten player. Doesn't look that bad. Um, I seem to have skipped over his era numbers for regular season. So sorry about that. Uh, Augie reference adjustment for era likes him. It brings him up to a eight uh, point per game player, 83 points in 82 games, which looks nice and is much more reasonable than the guys from the 20s and 30s for the adjustment. So at least the 40s adjustment is a little more like sensible. It's still probably inflating, but it's not so crazy. The versus X adjustment only recognizes him for assists because that's the only leaderboard he's on. Uh, it bumps him up a whole bunch to 500 assists from basically uh, 250. Um, so it's a huge increase, and that would put him 19th all-time in versus X-adjusted assists per game. But of course, he doesn't qualify for goals or, or points, so we can probably throw that out. He has some trades, which is exciting, because a lot of these old-timers uh, don't. There's just no trades. Um, so the fir- first off, he was traded at age 20. Uh to the Maroons for someone named Sammy McManus. And that was before he'd played in an NHL game. Uh, and then again, before he'd played in an NHL game, he was traded back to the Habs for cash at 22. And then the actual trade uh, that matters at all is at 31, he was traded to the Rangers with Frank Edels for Joe Bell, Hal Laco, and George Robertson. And I don't know who those players are. I don't know about you, Bill, but nope. the, the, the reason that's important is because he immediately won the Hart Trophy after the trade. So at least based on that, it, one would think that Montreal lost that trade. Uh, so he won the Hart in 48, literally like the next season. And, you know, you got to think there's at least a little bit of narrative here. Um, because in 1940, so he had 60 points in 60 games, which... It's worth noting, did not lead the league, but anyway, um, he hadn't had, and he had never scored 60 points before. He had scored 58 and 50 and 43, so better than that. But that was five years earlier. He had been not doing so well with Montreal. Like the last couple seasons in Montreal, if we go by points per game, um, let me just find the points per game. He was, uh, he had some, you know, he he, so he'd been a point per game, well over point per game player at the end of the World War II. But then in 45, it was 0.88. In 46, it was 0.49. In 47, it was 0.65. So he went and scored a point per game again. And uh, that, you know, that was a huge improvement. And I think people were like, holy shit, look at Buddy O'Connor. Yeah, and he's in New York now too, right? So, uh, you know, when you're playing for the Rangers, you typically stand out more if you have a really good season because the Rangers, for most of their history, have been pretty crappy, so. Yeah, um, and I I think it just like it was sort of a confluence of things. We when we talked about the forty eight season, I don't remember the the words we said, but uh, you were okay with him winning. I I was uh, I was voting for uh, Doug Bentley um, yeah. myself. There, there must have just been nobody else who really stood out enough for me to want to change it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably what happened. Um, and uh, like if we uh, let me see the points. So forty eight. He was so second. He was second in points um, to I probably. Oh no, to Elmer Lack. Um, but let me look at the. Yeah, I don't know. I'm guessing Elmer Lack was like not a good choice because maybe the Habs that year were not as good or something. I don't. I don't remember. Um, he also uh, he was top five in Calder voting. He also won the Lady Bing that year. They won the heart. 
He has uh, one second team all-star appearance and one all-star game appearance because the all-star game had started to be played, though not as as frequently as it would be is my memory of that. Um, He's one of those guys who, like, it's, it's... I, I, this is something that I don't understand, Bill, and, and I understand that the voting must be different, but he was a second-team All-Star the year he won the heart. Weird. Which is just... <laughs> and he's far from the only one that's happened. It's something that we didn't talk about during the heart series, but it's something I've noticed a few times when, when assembling these resumes is like, how does that happen? <laughs> You're not even the best at your position, but you win the MVP trophy, and I think they just thought about it different. They must have thought about the MVP trophy differently back then, you know? Yeah, maybe just well. Sometimes we do it like that now, right? Like who had the least help, and yeah. if you managed to squeeze your team into the playoffs, well, you went. Oh, yeah, like yeah. The Taylor Hall year, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like the so that year's All Star team, um, forty eight. Um, he uh, so it was Elmer Lack won won the fir- was the first team All Star, and then in the heart voting, um, which why did it didn't go directly to 48 when I clicked on it. I don't know. Oh, that's the wrong year. Hold on a second. Um, in the hard voting, uh, Elmer Lack just got tranced. So clearly they were evaluating things on different, you know, um, you know, uh, Buddy O'Connor had uh, an 80% vote percentage. Elmer Lack had 29. And the way that works is because it's there's it, the voting is weighted. That's so you can have over it can total more than a hundred percent. But um, like he, you know, Buddy O'Connor had ten first place votes. Lack had one, and yet Lack was the first team All Star, and O'Connor second <laughs> team All Star. So very clearly, um, people felt differently about the two awards. Uh, so O'Connor also uh, he was top ten in goals once. He was top five in assists three times. He was more of a passer. I was top 10 four times. He was top five in points once, top 10 points twice. Um, his versus X adjustment makes him look... <laughs> he doesn't qualify for goals. Uh, he's 89th all-time in assists for his best t- seven seasons, but he drops down to 106 all-time for his best 10. He's 243rd all-time in points for his best seven seasons, which is not great among the players we talked about. However, he bumps up to 231st all-time for best 10. So... It's just assists where he sort of looks like he might belong it, compared to his other, um, uh, you know, over, uh, over the course of uh, history. Um, so he, he did, he won two cups. However, um, he was not uh, a star on either of those cups. Um, those were both with the Habs, shockingly. Um, and rather, uh, we and we don't have ice time, so all we can say was that he was a top nine forward by points. However, he did have one year in 43 where he was the best player on a Habs team that got eliminated, but he had nine points in five games. And um, he also uh, tied with four other players for the team lead in points on a Rangers team. That year he won the, um, the heart, so it's like impossible to know who the best player was by points that year because they literally all had the same number. Which I've never, I don't think I've seen a four way tie like that before in playoff points on one team. It's interesting. Um, and then, uh, yeah, other, so his, his playoff, his, you know, he was, he was only a star player on a playoff team once, and it was a team that got, we, I, I use the term like, you know, semifinal or final four, but like back then there were only two rounds of the playoffs. So they got eliminated the first round. So, I mean, I think it's the Hart Trophy that gets him in. 
they probably yeah. were looking at it like this guy has a heart trophy, but he's not inducted. We really have to fix this. I, I absolutely agree with that. Yeah. Um, because I, I'm going to try to be consistent with my past self. I, I apparently didn't think he deserved it in 48, so I'm going to stick to that position. So I think if you remove the heart trophy, I don't know that he has a case. Um, I, I, think, I think it's a pretty weak case if he does have one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it is, But on the other hand, Bill, it is better than a number of the players we've talked about who the Veterans <laughs> Committee later inducted after him. So there's that. I don't know what that means, but there's that. And uh, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm leaning, to, I'm leaning towards uh, sort of why the heck is this guy in here? Because I don't think there's anything else that sort of stands out of him other than he was clearly a fine player for a while. Yeah. And well, tucks, but that's not unusual for people who played for Montreal. And I don't know. I guess. I how guess many people, How many Rangers have ever won the uh, heart? I don't know. Couple, it, it, it what the the one that Messi shouldn't have won and this one maybe. <laughs> Based, I think maybe, um, and that that would be a really strong argument, right? Maybe a goalie at some point. Yes, that's entirely possible. I'm gonna just briefly. Ch- okay, so Mark Messier in '92, which was bullshit. Andy Bathgate <laughs> in '59, which was also bullshit. But we talked about it. he should have won. There was another year, I think he should have there won. You're right. Year. You're absolutely right. Bill Chuck Rainer in, in 50 yeah. uh, for the, the a goalie. And then finally, Buddy O'Connor, four, four of them. And the other three were all in the Hall of Fame, I think. Yeah. So was Chuck Rainer in the Hall of Fame? Yes, he was. So, um, yeah. So I, I think there was probably, wait a minute, the only Ranger to one of only four Rangers to win the heart, and he's the only one on the Hall of Fame. I think that's that's the kind of like narrative case, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, yeah, but I mean, I, like you, I don't really know what to do with him. I mean, it's like you can't go back as much as we tried to do so in our series. You can't actually go back and take the heart trophy away, and it is weird to have guys with MVP awards not in the Hall of Fame. On the other yeah. hand, and it's not like his MVP. His MVP isn't one of the disgraceful ones. It's just one where if, if memory serves, you know, you were okay with it. And I was just like, well, I think there's a better candidate, but like, it's not like he was terrible. He was second in points. Yeah. It wasn't like egregious, right? It wasn't like yeah. so bad. And he exploded. Like he had like almost triple, or, sorry, he had doubled the points he had from the previous season. Now he's also healthier, but still. Yeah. All right. Um, up next, we have uh, the perpetual bridesmaid, Brad Parkduck, who, um, more than any other player, uh, perhaps in history, um, lost out on the various awards he was voted for. Yep. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, as we've said before on, on previous episodes, I don't know of any place where there's like a completely comprehensive uh, database of nominations like the thing is there's nominations so hockey reference has a comprehensive database but they're all on different pages and you can't search it you have to jump back and forth and it doesn't say you know fifth nomination fifth top three or or fifth top five or whatever so there's no that i'm aware of there's no way of seeing the number of times someone was nominated for award without winning but as we will see with brad park he might he's definitely up high on a list of of being nominated for things and not winning them. Um, so he played from 68 to 85. 
uh, famously for the Rangers and the Bruins, and then briefly for the Red Wings, if I'm not mistaken. Profile. Um, yeah, two years for the Red Wings. Um, when he retired in 85, he was 18th all-time – or sorry, uh, he was he is currently 18th all-time among defensemen and goals. He was third at his retirement, though, and he was first all-time in assists among defensemen at his retirement. He's now 12th, and he was also third in points. And he's now 13th. So he was one of the top three by totals offensive defensemen in the history of the sport or the league. Anyway, he was also fifth all time in plus minus, which is pretty incredible. He's now 17th and he was eighth all time among defensemen in games played. He was second in point shares total, which uh, among defensemen at his retirement too, which is saying something um, that's, you know, uh, that's hockey references measure of value. He is now 14th, and um, he was 6th all-time in defensive point shares, and now he's 17th, and he was 3rd all-time in offensive point shares among defensemen, and now he's 12th. So, you know, one of the best offensive defensemen ever by uh, those metrics, and also just one of the best defensemen ever by point shares. Um, in terms of per game, he was 4th in goals per game in his retirement, 6th in assists, and 3rd in points. So again, one of the best de- offensive defensemen. In history, he's now 14th in goals per game, 8th in assists per game, and 9th in points per game. So, um, the draft. We have uh, talked about this draft before, have we? Oh, 66. Actually, no, we haven't. Um, he, he was drafted much earlier than I realized. But it is uh, very much uh, the Brad Park draft because uh, it was the Barry Gibbs draft. And uh, Barry Gibbs had a fairly mediocre career he, he had a career unlike some first round busts but he uh you know he ended up with 282 points in 797 games and minus 115 so anytime you're minus you know over half of the points scored ooh. anyway uh brad park is he is second in goals in his draft despite being a defenseman and he's eight off the lead eight behind don loose <laughs> So um, he was first in assist in his draft by 355, which is a hell of a lot. He's first in points by 343, which is also a hell of a lot, last time I checked. And he's plus 168 above Don Luce, the second guy. Um, he is also ahead of uh, Phil Meyer, of the of the, a goalie of the Habs, uh, by... Um, 80.2 point shares, which anybody who, who knows is that is an incredible, that's a great career. 80.2 point shares is like, there are guys in the Hall of Fame who have less than 80.2 point shares in career. So he's that far ahead of the next best player in his draft. And then he's uh, 219 games played ahead of uh, Don Luce as well. So um, this is the Brad Park draft. There's no, yeah. like, there's not even, it's not even it's like one of the clearest cut cases where he was the best player in the draft that I think we either of us have seen when we're doing this. Um, Era-wise, of the 11D to play in at least 100, 120 games between 68 and 85, he's second in goals among defensemen, of course. Uh, first in assists, first in point shares, first in games, second in offensive point shares, second in points, third in assists per game. He's He's one of the couple best and that that 820 games eliminates Bobby Orr which should be pointed out yeah. so the guy he is uh, mostly behind is uh Pot Van I believe 
and there's you know the odd other person depending on which category. His 82 game average is a very impressive 66 points plus 27 and 10.6 point shares, which is just excellent. And his three year peak is a 78 game average of 22 goals, which is a lot, 79 points, so more than a point per game, plus 44, which is nuts, and 13.2 point shares, which is like an absolute all-star season by a defenseman. So his three-year peak from 71 to 74 is excellent. But of course, Bobby Orr existed. (laughs) Uh, Unfortunately for Brett Clark. Yeah. Playoffs-wise, he was the seventh... Uh, he was the second defenseman all-time in goals at his retirement playoff goals. He's now seventh. He was also second assist in points. He's now 12th in assists and ninth in points. And he is uh, he was 22nd all-time among defensemen in a plus-minus when he retired. He his plus-minus is only plus 24 in 100 with 125 points in 161 games. So he is not on the list anymore. He was second in games played among defensemen in his retirement. He's now 23rd in playoff games, I should say. Up per game, he was fourth all-time in goals per game among defensemen, the playoff goals per game at his retirement, 12th in assists and sixth in points, which is just, I mean, it's not quite as good as regular season numbers, but it's still very good. He's now seventh in goals per game, 15 assists per game, and 10th in points per game. He's still 10th in point, playoff points per game among defensemen now. And he only played, like, the et- end of his career in the 80s. So I think that really says something. Um Era-wise, for uh, defensemen, he's second in basically every offensive care category of his era in the playoffs, except for plus-minus, which is you know both, um, and that is all behind Potvin. You know, he's just Potvin was just the best offensive defenseman of of that era. To, you know, again, Bobby Orr didn't play enough games to qualify for this, yeah. um, but like it's it's Potvin and then it's Brad Park, and so I mean that's good company. Um, the adjustment for era hurts him. We shouldn't be surprised. It knocks him down. The hockey reference one, I should say, it knocks him down to 58 points uh, per 82 games, which is minus eight. But uh, he still looks really good relative to his company at the per game level and also all time. He's 15th all time in a, a, adjusted assists for hockey reference and 19th in points among defensemen. And in terms of per game, he is 20th all time in adjusted goals per game, 15th in assists and 14th in points. So, even though you know he's maybe a little bit lower, he's still top twenty, top fifteen offensive defenseman with the adjustment for error, which of course favors other errors than his. Uh, he doesn't qualify for the versus X adjustment for goals, but he does for assists and points, and they bump him up higher than the Hockey Reference one. Um, but we didn't. I've never actually gone around to calculating uh, versus X per game just for defensemen, so I don't know where he would rank with that. We have one of the biggest trades of the 1970s to talk about, and that is the infamous or famous trade where Brad Park and Jean Rattel were, and and Joe Zanussi, who I've never heard of, uh, were traded for Phil Esposito and Carol Badney. And, um, I mean, it was a really big deal. It was the one of the two star players of the Bruins traded for two of the star players to, in the case of Park, even though he was already 30, or sorry, he's 27. Two of the, like, as given Rod, Rod Gilbert was considerably older than that. So, you know, two of the three star players and the youngest star player of the Rangers. So, a massive trade. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Huge. And it's, uh, it's interesting, too, because we were looking at the draft before, and uh, 
the Bruins picked one, so they they took uh, Barry Gibbs, and it's like yeah. Mark got taken second. They could have had him then, and then if, I I would imagine they'd have a few more cups because uh, if yep. you put him with Orr on defense for all those years, holy holy crap, they would have been they were already pretty unbelievable. I mean, they would have been unstoppable. Yeah, yeah, so. it does it does feel a bit like maybe they were trying to rectify that mistake, maybe, um, especially yeah. with Bobby Orr's health starting to go by that point. Um, and Phil Esposito was of course like three years old or six years older than Park on the other hand he was two years younger than Rattel so I mean I think it's safe to say it was Esposito for Park and Rattel for you know like yes they were trading um, forward for forward and defenseman for defenseman but like Esposito had the I think safe to say Esposito had the bigger value than Rattel and Park had the bigger value than Vadnay did in addition to being younger than Bad Day by three years. Now, who the hell won it? I, I, I have no idea because, like, you know, they the Bruins did indeed go to uh, some finals, as we're about to talk about. But, uh, you know, as it it's not like Esposito had, like, a bad end to his career in, in New York either. Yeah. So, and Rattel had a couple of good years to the Bruins as well, actually. Um, so... So here's where the bridesmaid stuff comes in. Brad Part finished top five Part voting five times. That I didn't know that. Five wow. times. In addition to that, he finished top five in Norris voting a ridiculous nine times. That's one year shy of a decade. And the really crazy part is eight of those, eight of those nine times were top two. Yep. He was second yeah, in Norris voting eight times. <laughs> he just so happened to play, you know, at the exact same time as the greatest hockey player who's ever lived. <laughs> um, so And then Denny Poffin right? showed up. Yeah, and exactly. So even when, when Orr started, uh, you know, having the injuries and eventually had to retire because of it, it should have been Park's time to at least get like a lifetime achievement couple of Norrises. Like, nope, here's Putman. So, yeah. Yep. so that's, that's a tough one. But I, I, I mean, like, you know, I never saw him play, but all my – all my uncles and my dad, when they talked about back in the old days, they'd always talk about, you know, obviously they'd always talk about Bobby Orr. And then somebody would always say, oh, yeah, and remember Brad Park was really good, too. Like, he wasn't Orr, but he was really good. And uh, so, like, it was sort of that, that second name who always comes after that guy. So yeah. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, absolutely. He also won the Masterton, which, I mean, I'm sure was based on a recovery from an injury. Or something, but like he also, you know, it does also feel like, given when it was awarded, that it was like, okay, here, here's something. You don't have any awards. <laughs> have one before you retire. Um, he was a first team All Star five times, which is a lot, and he was a second All Star team, a uh, second team All Star twice. Uh, Hockey Reference has him as a top five player by point shares twice in '72 and '74, and a top ten three times. One more time in 78. Um, he was never, according to Hockey Reference, never the best defensive player in the league by point shares, but that is, of course, conditional and partly on the team's record and point differential and all those things. Um, weirdly, he was a top 10 offensive player once by point shares, which is uh, rare for a defenseman. I mean, Bobby Orr did it a lot, but very other, very few other people did it. I'm not even sure Poffhan did it. Um, he scored 25 goals uh, once, which he was only one of 14 players ever to do at his retirement. Um, and, you know, he, he 20 goals three times, nine players ever as retired defenseman. So that, you know, he did he did do some offensive things that people hadn't done before. Um, 
at his retirement, he was the only defenseman to ever have 40 assists 10 times. He's now one of eight, but only one in his retirement, as an example. Um, he was also the only defense. Him and Potvin were the only defensemen ever to have 50 points 10 times when he retired. He's now 10 defensemen, but uh, he was top 10 and or top five and plus minus twice as well. The versus X peak adjustment doesn't apply for goals. Obviously, assists for his best seven seasons. He's 110th all time, and when you the 10, it drops him down to 92nd or bumps him up to 92nd all time. Points best seven, he doesn't qualify, but uh, best 10, he's 238th. Of course, he's he's a defenseman, so he should be lower. And it's worth noting that Buddy O'Connor is 241st all time in points, only seven spots ahead of Brad Park on that. So uh, that's interesting. So he, of course never won a cup because he was traded too late for that in terms of the Bruins, but he did uh, go, he, he was in a bunch of finals for him. That's, you know, the bridesmaid thing again, right? Um, he was the best player on the 78 Bruins by points. And they, they of course lost to the Habs. He was also the best defenseman by points uh, on the 72 Rangers who lost to the, uh, Bruins, if I'm not mistaken. And on the 77 Bruins, who lost the Habs. And uh, he also was in a whole bunch of other, uh, you know, uh, the equivalent of a conference final now. Um, he was on uh, six of them, it looks like. So that's a lot. <laughs> for that Park. is a lot, yeah. And then lastly, he was, by points, the best defenseman on the Summit Series Canadian team because Orr was hurt. Um, and Potvin was too young, I guess. Um, anyway, so that's his career. Um, it's pretty... It's hard to look at anyone who finished top two in Norris voting that many times as someone who couldn't possibly belong in the Hall of Fame. I mean, it's... <laughs> yeah. It's like he yeah. won a Norris, only he didn't, you know, basically. It, but that, that's it, yeah. If Bobby Orr doesn't exist, he probably wins... I don't know, what would you say? At least at least five of those before the voters get sick of them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he yeah. finished second eight times. Right. So yeah. clearly, and, and only a few of those were to Papa. Um, yeah. and most of them were to, or, so I think you're right there. And the other thing is like, he has more top two finishes, Norris finishes than most people who won the Norris do. Right. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Most people who won the Norris have like maybe one other top two finish. Yeah. If they're lucky, some of them don't even have a top, another top. Yeah. He's like, he's consistently the best like human defenseman in the league because Bobby, yeah. Bobby Orr sort of on another plane, right? Like, yeah. Um, it's like, it's like comparing, you know, all oh, Gretzky won all those hearts in a row. And then you see the guy who finished like second and you're just like, that's a hell of a season, except that Wayne Gretzky exists. Like it's kinda, yeah. not much you can do. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. It, it, the, the crazy thing about his career, which is just like, you know, I'm sure he got over it eventually. But is the fact that not only he he was nominated for so many for the both the Hart and the Norris so many and then he never wins a cup and yes he wins the Summit Series but like the never winning a cup either <laughs> it's like oh my god dude and yeah. he was in three he was in three finals I know I know but it's you know in those days uh, you make it to a final and you're typically playing the Habs or. Uh, you know, the Islanders, like you're always playing somebody who's really stacked like that. Yeah. So those, those teams through that. And even, even earlier in the seventies, like you've got, uh, 
you've got the uh, the big bad Bruins and the Broad Street Bullies in there too. Like I mean, it's yeah. really hard to win a cup during that era, uh, especially when you're kind of the you're arguably the best player on your team, yeah. and you're sort of making the team quite good, but you know you don't have the pieces that these other guys do. You know, those those teams were stat like, like just even just looking at that Bruins team, like it's. Only the Habs getting in their way and totally having their number prevented them from winning like multiple cups in the seventies. They should have had a ton. (laughs) As you said, had had they just picked Park instead of uh, Gibbs. Yep. I mean. Yeah, they probably have a dynasty. Yeah, yeah. Probably. All right. Uh, Up next, we have the late Tony Esposito, who died a few days ago. I guess a couple more than a few days ago now, but earlier this week. Um, and he played from 68 to 84. It's 16 seasons, 13 as a starter. One is a 1A by my estimation, and two as a backup where he was injured, one or the other. When he retired, he was third all-time in wins. He was fifth all-time in losses. He was third all-time in ties. He was seventh all-time in shutouts, third all-time in minutes played, third all-time in games played, uh, and second all-time in goalie point shares, um, as well as uh, he is still, to this day, first all-time in hockey references goals saved above average, which is a way of estimating how much better uh, the goalie is than the the average goalie. So, at least by that measure, he is uh, the greatest goalie of all time. It's worth noting that that is cumulative. And so, for example, Hashik is just not high up on that leader as high up on that leaderboard as you might think because he didn't play quite as long and he had some uh weird seasons um he was also first all time in goals against at his retirement and shots against as well and saves uh he got shelled basically yeah. per- sorry i said yeah it's like he was uh he was really sort of uh taking it on the chin in terms of uh he faced so many shots yeah. Sort of uh, made made his team a lot better with his uh, his goaltending performances. And his his per game numbers don't sound great anymore, but we got to keep in mind that he played most you know most of his career through the seventies and then into the eighties. So he has a two ninety three goals against average and a nine oh six save percentage. Both of those don't sound great, but when we adjust for error, you'll see maybe they are um, uh, error wise. Uh, of the 14 goalies to play in 410 games between 68 and 84, he is first in wins by over 100. He's also first in losses. He's first in ties by over 30. He's first in shutouts by over 25. He's first in minutes by over 9,600 minutes, which is just a number that's, like, crazy to me. He's first in games by nearly 150 games. He's first in shots, uh, goals against. He's first in shots against. He's first in saves. He's second in save percentage, so even though that save percentage doesn't sound so good, he's actually the second best save percentage of the era. And he's third in goals per game, uh, goals against uh, average. And then, also notably, as you've been shocked to learn, he's first in goal save above average. And this one, he's ahead by 190. And to give you an idea, the best seasons all time in that number are like 60 or 70. So he's like, that's three all-time seasons ahead of the second-place goalie. Um, his season average is 26 wins, 19 losses, 10 ties, 5 shutouts, which is fine, but that's over the whole career, so that includes some you know, down years. Um, and his three-year peak uh, from 73 to 76 is 33, 22, and 12, 7 shutouts, 255 GAA, which goes to show you the scoring was higher. 
um, and a 913 save percentage. Again, uh, scoring was higher, and I, I roughly estimated this, but approximately 42.5 goals saved above average, which is phenomenal um, for an average. Or because usually the the guys who have the really crazy uh, best goal saved above average seasons, they're like they happen like once or twice a career. Um, playoff wise, he was eighth all time in wins at his retirement, second in losses, twelfth uh, in shutouts. Uh, seventh all-time in minutes played, Play. seventh in games played, fifth all-time in goal saved above average, so not quite as good as regular season, and then uh, third in goals against, fourth in shots against, and fourth in saves. And his per his uh, GAA playoff GAA is higher; it's uh, 3.09, and his save percentage is a tiny bit lower. Um, 9.03, but that was actually 13th all-time at his retirement without adjusting for error, of course. And for that era, he was fourth in wins, first in losses, third in shots, third in minutes, and third in basically everything else. Um, so he he has a case to be the best goalie of his era regular season-wise. In the playoffs, he is the third best-ish. And, um, you know, some of that is probably um, due to, like, the chances he had or didn't have based on uh, the team in front of him. And I, I don't know anything about the defense of the Blackhawks during that period, but I suspect it was amazing. Um, adjusting for era, he is 11th all-time in goals against average. He is third all-time in save percentage behind only uh, Ken Dryden and Hasek. And he is first all-time in a hockey uh, hockey future history of hockey board uh um, metric called goals versus average and he's second all time in goals versus threshold. These are two different error adjustments. So by three of those four metrics, he is one of the best goalies in history, which is saying something. Um, he finished top five in heart voting three times, which is two times fewer than Brad Park. Interestingly, uh, he also won three Vesnas, but it's really important to know that the Vesna was the Jennings when he won it three times. So it, it was just the, you know, uh, the, the fewest goals against. It wasn't actually the best goalie award. Who That that award did not exist until he was like quite old. He was, uh, how old was he when he was 37 when the Vesna was introduced, the new Vesna was introduced. So. Uh, he was the first team all-star three times, second team all-star twice, six all-star game appearances. Uh, Hockey Reference has him um, as the best player by point shares in 1980 uh, when he was 36, which is cool. Um, he is also uh, tied for the 10th most top five uh, uh, point share finishes in NHL history. Um, that's among all players, not just uh, goalies. Um, and he's tied for the fifth most. Um, he was he was a top ten player by point shares eleven times, and that's tied for the fifth most ever among again among all types of players, including skaters. He was the best goalie by goalie point shares twice in seventy one and eighty, according to uh, Hockey Reference. And he was a top five goalie. Get this, Bill, eleven times by goalie point shares, which is the third most ever. And the only two players ahead of him are Glenn Hall and Terry Sajak. Um, and then he was a top 10 goalie one other time and that's ties him for the 10th most ever so his peak his like 11 seasons were excellent and then he just the other five, five seasons were just basically not as, as good um he led the league in wins twice he led the league in shutouts three times 
He led the league in shots against five times, which is the most ever. He was top five in shots against 12 times, which is the most ever. So he got shelled. He is the guy who got shelled the most, basically. Um, he led the league in saves five times, the most ever. Top five in saves 11 times, which is tied most ever. Top 10 in saves 13 times, tied most ever. You get the idea. Save percentage. He led the league in save percentage twice, which is tied for the sixth most ever, actually. And he's top five eight times, which is pretty damn impressive, and seventh most ever. And top 10 11 times, which is sixth most ever. So, again, quite good regular season. Uh, he led the league in goals against average once. He led the league in goals saved above average four times, which is the fifth most all-time. It's worth noting he was top five 12 times, which is the most ever in in the sport and in, in the NHL history. And top 10, 13 times, which is the second most ever. And I didn't write down the other player, but I suspect it was, uh, well, 13 years it would be Patrick Hoare or something like that, probably. Um, he is one of only four players to have a plus 60 goal saved above average in history. And the other three players are Dryden, Perron and Vachon. And you'll notice that all of them played in the exact same period, which says something about the metric. It's possibly that it's skewed to the seventies. And plus one reason why Esposito looks so good. He is one of only three players to uh, have a plus 50 goal saved above average twice. And those are Hatchick and Dryden. And, uh, plus 44 times, also just Dryden Hashik, and then um, plus 35 six times, he's tied with Ken Dryden for the most times ever. And uh, plus 30 10 times most ever, plus 20 12 times most ever. So at least by goal saved above the average, which again appears to favor 70s goalies, he is the best regular season goalie of all time in some ways, uh, in terms of his consi- how long he was that good. Um, he also led the league in minutes six times. Uh, which is the third most ever, along with uh, Glenn Hall and, and Bruder. And he's top five 11 times with only um, Hall, Sawchuk, Lumney, and Bruder ahead of him. Uh, he's one of only 10 players to play 4,000 minutes four times. And his adjusted peak, as much as we can do it, he has a peak adjusted save percentage of 929, which is third all-time behind Hashik, and I don't remember who else. And he is second all-time in goals versus average peak and second all-time in gold versus threshold peak behind Hajik. So um, he had some absolutely stellar regular season numbers. He maybe only had one or two amazing seasons, but he was very good for a very long time, perhaps longer than anybody else. Um, he, uh, he, of course, uh, played for the Blackhawks, so he didn't win a cup. But, however, he somehow led the playoffs in shutouts uh, one year that when they only went to the, uh, like, you know, they didn't go to the Stanley Cup final. He still led the playoffs in shutouts. And then um, when they did go to the finals in 71, he led the playoffs in save percentage goals against average and shutouts. Um, so those are his two best runs in 74 and 71. 71 was the better run because they went further. But uh, I still thought it was incredible that he could lead, you know, lead the playoffs in shutouts and not play the whole play every round like that seems like it's a fair amount of shutouts right <laughs> if you're if you're doing that um <laughs> and uh anyway that's it. that's it uh he never won a cup and he didn't have any international success that i could discover which is a surprise huh. well i mean beyond uh, beyond 72 right was he on 72 did i miss yeah, that yeah yeah he was the other goalie oh yeah, it was Dryden and Esposito. 
Interesting. I'm so. almost. I'm ninety nine point nine percent. Oh, you're right. I. I um, yeah, he isn't. He did have. I don't know why I didn't write it down. So let's look. So uh, yeah, you're right, Bill. He um, he had two wins, one loss, and a tie in seventy two. I don't know how this got missed. I'm sorry. And then in the World Hockey Championships in seventy seven, um, Canada did not medal. And then in 81, we, of course... Oh, he played for the U.S. in 81. Traitor. He played for the Americans at the Canada Cup in 81. Really? Yeah. And round robin, they finished fourth. But how how about in the... Um, yeah, so they... I don't know if you can say they came in third. Both them and the Czechs lost 4-1 to the, the Canadians and the Russians. So I don't know who of those teams you consider that they came in third or not. Yeah. Um, but he he was the goalie for that team. He did not have a uh, um, good good tournament though. So yeah, you're right. You're right to point that out. He did win uh, in '72. Thank you for pointing that out. But he did not. Um, he didn't win the other two tournaments he played. So I guess the big question is, like, so at least one stat points him as one of the best goalies of all time. That stat weighted towards the 70s and also uh, to the fact that he got shelled. But I, I think the fact that he got shelled is relevant. He was good for a very long time while getting shelled. Um, but, like, the big question is, like, where, you know, how how great was he? In part because, like, he doesn't really have team success, right? He has one final. They went to the finals in 71 and that was it. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Two. No. My apologies, 73 as well. But his, his playoff year in 73 was not, like, his 71 year was much better than 73. 73 was not, he did not have a good year. Like, they got there kind of in spite of him in 73. Um, like, I, I don't know. Um, I, I mean, I think he's definitely, he's very clearly Hall of Fame worthy, but having never watched him, I have no clue. Uh, as to like where he belongs on the top goalie list. Yeah, well, I, I think when we when we get hopefully get to our episodes about the uh, sort of the top ten at each the top five or top ten at each position, then uh, I'm, I'm sure he'll feature in the discussion. But it's uh, it's worth noting about his career that he was he was considered I, I would say easily a top three goalie in the league for you know a good chunk of his career, especially yeah. those years when he was. Uh, when he when he first got uh, picked up off the uh, in the waiver draft and became a Blackhawk and sort of uh, came very very close to winning the cup with them and um, you know the uh, he made really important uh, innovations too with goalie masks uh, his goalie mask actually I think he wore for all but thirteen games of his NHL career was the same mask uh, wow. and he just kept adding like little little adjustments to it like he put the uh, the piece in the back as he banged the back of his head on the ice and took a stick back there one time and he's like, I need something back there too. And then added like a sort of like a little cage around the eye holes because he almost got hit by a puck with uh, from uh, from some sticks and uh, one chip out of the mask. He says he remembers the Lafleur the, the Lafleur slap shot that put it there. Um, so, uh, but like most of the goalie masks that everybody you know those goalie masks that everybody wore were like basically from the the sort of the Tony Esposito model of of goalie mask, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm so. just looking at pictures right now and I know that doesn't help cuz it's a it's a podcast, but 
it's worth yeah. looking at them. Um, it is really worth looking at it because you can sort of see the evolution uh, a little bit. You can see pictures of them where it's simpler, where it doesn't have the wiring, and then you can, you know, see the one with the wire version. And yeah, it's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know that. It's neat. Yeah, and apparently he finished his career with all of his teeth intact, and he played goalie, so that's pretty impressive. That is that's, very uh, impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. I did not know that. I mean, yeah. I mean, honestly, like the goalies who uh, who helped change masks almost belong on their own in as as like you know on the builder side right like yeah because like i mean it's a pretty important piece of equipment yeah well it's just sort of it's sort of um the developments that he made with some of the materials it was actually a guy in uh, in montreal uh that worked for uh he worked for like aerospace stuff and he he came in with some like different resins and materials to try to make it like tougher but also light but before that, it was like sort of, you know, some fiberglass and maybe some leather stitched together or just all leather. And just like everybody sort of had their own type of mask that they wore to protect their face. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when Esposito got there, he had his old one from college and he was sort of like the thing was falling apart. And he's like, I need a new one. And uh, one of the one of the trainers in Montreal sort of put him in touch with this guy. And then the guy made him like sort of like a brand new style of mask. And then that sort of became the standard for for goalies until uh, until like the cages came in. So. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I did not know that. Um, yeah, it's pretty wild. I've been reading a lot about it in the last few days, obviously. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, because it's, it's actually it's only been like two days for some reason. I thought it'd been longer. Um, yeah, I mean, I think so. The master is really cool. I think also he just he he was like you said, Bill. He was like very good for a very long time in addition to having a couple years where he was arguably the best goalie in the league he also had just many 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 years where he was one of the best goalies in the league at a level that as i as i mentioned when going through uh you know the the long list of accomplishments only a few other goalies have have played at and the only thing the only knock i think is the like is the general lack of team success. The fact that in the playoffs, he was not as good. You know, the, the numbers are like the save percentage is lower. The GA is higher. There's only one year where he's really like, you know, very clearly the best goalie um, in the playoffs. There are a couple of years where he had, you know, more shutouts than some, but his, his numbers otherwise were not like absolutely incredible. And, you know, some of this, I mean, you do wonder, had his teams been better, given him more opportunities, maybe he would have, like, settled into more of a rhythm. But, like, regular season-wise, he still has a, he has a very impressive resume. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I, I don't think there's any doubt that, that he belongs. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, think he's, I think he's in the discussion for, you know, a top 10 goalie of all time if you get right down to it. So it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's hard to compare eras with, uh, you know, the way that scoring has fluctuated and uh, equipment has fluctuated and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I, I, you know, if you made that 72 team for Canada, like you're damn good. So yeah. r- r- right there, that's a nice feather in the cap that, and held his own quite well against the Russians too, had a winning record. So yeah, um, it's, it, you know, it, we always talk about Dryden, but I think maybe uh, because he doesn't have the cups, Esposito doesn't get as much uh, much credit as he, as he deserves. Yeah, and he played at a time when like Chicago was 
I mean, at, initially they were a good team, but after a while they sort of like, you know, were an afterthought for a little bit. Uh, yeah. Certainly, I think in the late seventies in particular. Um, all right. So lastly, we have uh, Guy Lafleur, um, who uh, fascinating career, um, as we will get to uh, shortly, um, but who played uh, from seventy one to eighty five, and then after he was inducted into the Hall of Fame, returned to play three more very forgettable seasons for the uh, the Nordiques and the Rangers. Um, which I was still, I got to say, I was still not watching very much hockey at all. So I have very little, I've seen a little bit of footage of him, you know, uh, skating around without a helmet. Yep. <laughs> um, but beyond that, I, I, you know, I didn't watch it, but they were, I mean, by, by stats anyway, they were very forgettable for him. Um, so I just want to say, because he was inducted in 88, Everything, when I say is retirement, it means 85. It doesn't mean 91. I did not bother to figure out how much, like, where he had moved on the leaderboards at his second retirement. Because, like, he played, I don't know, he played 165 games when he returned. And in that time, he scored, like, 100 points. So, not even. And it was minus 24. Like, it was not a glorious comeback. Put him no, he played for played for the Rangers and the Nordiques, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So uh, when he retired, he was ninth all time in goals, eleventh all time in assists, and ninth all time in points. And he was also fourth all time in plus minus because he played for the Habs, and he was by at least some standards their best player. Um, he was also fourteenth all time in point shares as retirement, and he was ninth all time in offensive point shares. So that and two of the other stats put him as one of the top 10 offensive players in NHL history at, at his retirement. He was also 14th in goals per game in his retirement and 10th in points at assists per game. He is now 21st in goals per game, 25th in assists per game, and 12th in points per game. So he's still top 15 in points per game now, which is, I mean, top 12, which is really impressive given, again, that he, like, his best seasons were not in the 80s. Um, and he had one. One his last good season was in the eighties, but everything else was in the seventies. Um, so the draft, uh, he was of course drafted behind, infamously, famously, depending on your point of view, he was drafted ahead rather of Dion, and uh, he is behind Dion in all offensive categories. However, per game wise, um, I think he is on some of them he might be ahead of Dion. The thing is, Hockey Reference doesn't let you... Like, I'd have to actually, like, do the math. Because uh, Hockey Reference doesn't show the per-game numbers in the draft page. Um, but Dion is ahead of Lafleur by a lot, as we talked about in the Dion episode. Um, just because, for one thing, Dion played way longer. And unlike Lafleur, Dion didn't have this crazy, weird drop-off in productivity all of a sudden, like Lafleur did, which we will get to. Yeah. Um. Era-wise, of the 18 skaters playing 902 games or 11 modern seasons between 71 and 85, um, Lafleur is second in goals, third in assists, second in points. This is all behind Dion, of course. Uh, third in plus-minus. He's ahead of Dion in plus-minus. Um, and he's second in offensive point shares and third in point shares. And he's barely in, in third in point shares. He's literally in third by .2 point shares, which is not much. So he's Basically the second best player of his era in totals, 
I don't know why I didn't do the per game. I have no idea. I can't explain that. Um, his 82 game uh, average is uh, is at 98 points, which is uh, extremely impressive and plus 35. But of course, the real, really crazy thing is his three-year peak, which was 76 to 79, an 80-game average of 133 points, and a ridiculous plus 73, which is almost one goal per game. Which is, it's hard to uh, yeah. it's hard to you know get wrap your head. Very few people are are plus a goal. Um playoffs. Uh, he was 11th all-time in goals at his retirement. He was 11th all-time assist, 10th all-time in playoff points, 9th all-time in playoff plus-minus. And uh, at his retirement per game, he was 22nd in goals per game, 22nd in assists per game, and 26th in points per game. All pretty impressive. Um, in terms of era, he is the, he's second in playoff goals, he is fifth in playoff assists, and he is fourth in playoff points. And I, honestly, I don't remember who was ahead of him in some of that, but a lot of him is because he actually his career actually overlapped with Bossy, and I'm pretty sure Bossy would would uh, qualify for that leaderboard. So Bossy's ahead, Trache might be ahead, um, and Pop fans ahead. So you know, if we had like jiggled it a little bit so that the Islanders couldn't qualify, he'd probably be higher up. Because, of course, he started playing way earlier than all of those guys, but um, because of what happened to his career as he got older and what happened to the Habs, he doesn't actually have as many playoff games uh, as as some people you would think. he Only 128, which is not actually that many given that he played for the Habs, right? Like, yeah, the, exactly. You know, all-time leaders are in the 200s, and they're all in the Oilers and the Islanders, basically. Well, and, and I guess the, the Red Wings as well. Um, hockey reference, of course, hurts him. It drops him down to a terrible 89 points per 82 games. Just awful. Uh, nine points lower, but like he's still like way, way above uh, per game, a point per game. Versus X um, likes him about as much, and he's 20th all-time in versus X... Um, uh, points per game, which is something, uh, again, I don't know why I didn't look at the pocket reference ones for him, but he'd be, he'd be up there. Um, so we have, uh, what would, what seemed like a very minor trade to talk about two trade, two minor trades, but the, the first one is fascinating and it's not really a trade. And that is, so he was, of course, he had, um, uh, he had uh, retired, but presumably the Habs still had his rights. And then, for reasons uh, that I don't really know about, and maybe you do, Bill, because you would have been paying more attention to hockey back then, he um, he didn't want to be on the Rangers anymore. And so he signed a contract... I guess I guess maybe he was somehow I don't know how you could be a restricted free agent this age but anyway he signed a contract with the Nordiques and as compensation for doing that the Rangers received a fifth round pick in 1990 and that turned into Are you ready? I'm ready. Sergey Zubov. Ha oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's a costly one. Yep. Uh 
free agent compensation was a weird thing <laughs> back then. Now, it's entirely possible that they could have drafted anybody else with that pick, right? But they just so happened to draft Zubov, who is now in the Hall of Fame as we know. Not not for anything much for he did for the Rangers, but still. Yeah. He, he did have he did lead the in points one year, but and then the other trade, uh he was traded uh by uh um he was he so Minnesota drafted him in the expansion draft, uh um for some reason. And uh he was uh and I don't even know what like why Minnesota was drafting people in the expansion draft. They already existed, so I don't know what's going on there. Um and and Quebec was unhappy, so Quebec traded Alan uh Howarth uh to get him back. And I, I don't understand the shenanigans there. Cause of course, Minnesota, you know, had existed for years. So what they were doing, drafting in the expansion draft, I don't know. Maybe there was this thing you can claim other players or. I, I, yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, this, this is, even though I was alive, this is before my time as a sports fan or anything other than a baseball fan. So I have no idea what the hell was going on. So if you do know what was going on, please let us know on Facebook or Twitter. Yeah, um, so it, it's hard for me because the only thing I really like that sort of rate when I started watching hockey was like yeah. that sort of era. And, and there's an old tape that my brother and I watch all the time that they, they put out for uh, that year when the Canadians lost to uh, the Flames in the final. And there's footage of Guy Lafleur's first game back at the Forum, and it's like so weird to see him in a Rangers uniform. And I think he scores two goals, so the place is going crazy. And then, of course, the Habs win because they were really good that year. Um, but it's just like he was so like I can only other than maybe Richard Bellivo. I think I think probably uh, he's probably like number three on the list in terms of like great Habs that were incredibly revered and the people just love, you know, that are, you know, yeah. I mean, especially obviously he's a Quebecer, but like, he's way, way, way up there. Yeah. <coughs> so he won the heart twice and he was top five in heart voting, uh, four more times. He won the, uh, what was then, uh, what was not the Ted Lindsay at the time. It was the Pearson, uh, he won that three times, and that is actually still the third most ever because that award is younger. Uh, he also won the Consmith in 77, and he won the Art Cross in 76, 77, and 78. That is three years in a row. When we did our Hart Trophy revisited, whatever you want to call it, thing, we had him as in the MVP. We had him the hearts, the 77 and 78 hearts we agreed with, and we also gave him a honorary best player, not MVP thing in 76. He was a first-team All-Star six times, which is one hell of a lot and more than the other people we've mentioned today. He was also only in six All-Star game appearances because the All-Star game was weird. Um, Hockey Reference thinks he's the best player by point shares in 78 and the best offensive player three times in 76, 77, 78, which is all very impressive. He led the league in goals once. He led the league in goals three game once. Um, he is... He was one of only nine players to score 60 goals at his first retirement. And then, of course, it includes Gretzky because it includes the first half of the 80s. Um, he was one of only six players at his retirement to score 55 goals three times. He was one of only four players, they being bossy Dion Gretzky, to score 50 goals six times at his retirement. Um, he led the league in assists once. He led the league in eight assists per game once. He was one of only 
seven players to have 70 assists four times as retirement. Only eight players to have 60 assists as retirement. You get the idea. He led the league in points three times, um, which is tied for the seventh most ever. He led the league in points per game three times, which is tied for the eighth most ever. He is one of only five players at his retirement, now eight, to have scored 130 points twice. Those players were Gretzky, Esposito, Dion, or at his retirement. Um, he is only one of five players ever to have 120 points five times, and he came very close to a sixth time. I think he was one point off the sixth time. And those players who did it with him are Gretzky, Lemieux, Dion, and Esposito, so incredible company. 110 points six times, one of only six players ever and five at his retirement. Dion, Bossy, Esposito, Gretzky, the usual suspects by this point. He led the league in plus-minus once. Um, his... And it's worth, I guess, before we get to versus X adjusted peak, it's worth noting that he he had these like six incredible years, and then, you know, he he just dropped off the face. Not he was still uh, he he had health problems, but he was still over a point per game player, but nothing compared to the the. Um, and I don't know what the injury was that did it. I have no idea. Um, versus X adjustment. For peak uh, goals, best seven seasons, 24th, drops down to 30th uh, for best 10 because, of course, he, he dropped off. Um, best, uh, sorry, assists, he was 27th all-time for best seven and 29th all-time for 10. And 10th all-time, which is incredible for best seven seasons points. Like, 10th is incredible. Like, it's just, I mean, one of the 10 best players of all time. And then best 10, it's way down to 17th because, of course, he had a decline. So lastly, uh, you may know he won some cups. He was in the Habs. He was their best forward, if not their best player. He won five cups. He won the Conn Smythe, like we said, in 77, and he led the playoffs in assists and points. He also uh, was the best player. Um, he led the playoffs in goals uh, on a, a Hab team that lost in the semifinals um, in 75. He was the best skater by points on the 76 Canadians. He was the best forward um, on the 78 Canadians. He let, who also won, uh, he led the playoffs in goals and co-led the playoffs in points uh, with Larry Robinson. And he was a top three forward by points, uh, led the playoffs in assists, co-led the playoffs in points on uh, the 79 Can- Canadians also won. And then he had a much smaller role in 73 when they won. And then he also was a top six player by points on the 76 Canada cup team and the 81 Canada Cup team, and they won in 76, and they lost in 81, as we seem to say every single episode, because all these guys played in both of them. Or not all these guys, but many of the players we've been talking about in the last five episodes have played in one or both of them. So, I mean, Lafleur was, for six seasons, very close to the best forward in the NHL. Especially if you call it that, from 74 through 1980, he was, you know, if you just if you limited it to that to those six years, I bet he had probably had the most goals and most assists and most points in that period. I think that's pretty safe to say, right? And then um, he got hurt uh, somehow. I don't know what the actual injury was. And uh, suddenly... hi. I, I can fill you in there. You found uh, it. I've been doing some reading, and then I, I also have a fun tidbit to share. Um, okay. So he scored fifty goals six seasons in a row, and then during the eighty-one season. Uh, he was driving home late at night one night and fell asleep behind the wheel, um, crashed into a highway fence, and a, uh, a pole went through the windshield, narrowly missing his head, but it did uh, did tear off a little piece of his ear. 
Wow. He was in quite a serious car wreck. Uh, and then his production dropped after that. So I think that kind of explains it. Eh? It does. Um, it does explain. I did not know that. I had no yeah, idea. No, for... Me neither. I was trying to figure it out. And uh, so it's. Uh, it's uh, interesting. I'm sure I could have found it had I put in yeah. a little more effort. But like, I've also never heard that before. And I feel like usually with players who have such a stark decline, like LaFleur did, everybody knows why, right? Whether it's someone's yeah. knee or someone's concussion, you know, you hear about it. I had never heard about that before. Yeah, well, he had, he had 100 points and 50 goals for the, the previous six seasons. And yeah. then... 110 uh, points. Yeah. And so he's, like, he's producing at a prolific rate and then uh, had, that, had that accident towards the end of the 81 season. I don't think he was going to hit those numbers again. Uh, but he appeared in only 51 games and scored 27 yeah. goals. Yeah. Um, so, which is, you know, not terrible. Um, no, it was, I mean, he's still point one one 1.37 points per game player that season, but like yeah. that is way off the pace he had been at for six yeah. uh, seasons prior to that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so also was, a very, a very fun tidbit about him in 1979. And I, I've heard little tidbits of this and it's fantastic. Probably find it on YouTube. Uh, in 1979, LaFleur released an album called, Lafleur, uh, which consisted of Guy Lafleur reciting hockey instructions, which was accompanied by disco music. So, uh, if, yeah, it's uh, it's a very very Quebec thing. Uh, I'm almost positive somebody posted it on YouTube by now. So yeah, that is incredible. I know I know you're gonna look it up as soon as we're done here. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's the thing about him is like he was he was arguably the like I, it's funny. So I was, of course, uh, born after his car accident, um, and you know I did not watch him play hockey. But like one of the things I found fascinating is like you know I've heard Lafleur referred to as the best forward between Gordie Howe and Gretzky, and I've always found that fascinating because of course Esposito had some better years total. He didn't have. He wasn't as consistent, right? He was sort of. He had years where he scored 150, and then he had years where he scored 100, um, whatever, 110, whatever. And Lafleur went from, you know, in in six seasons, Lafleur went from a high of 136 to a low of 119, which is literally 17 points difference. You know, he was always between 119 and 136 for six years in a row, which is just like very consistent. And you know, this is with missing games. He missed games in three of those uh, six seasons. Anyway. So I don't know why, why it was people that thought LaFleur was better than Esposito, except for the fact that Esposito had Bobby Orr and LaFleur had no offense to Larry Robinson and Guy Lapointe and Serge Fard, not quite as dynamic offensive defense, right? And he also, LaFleur never had, you know, um, a, an offensive star alongside him of his caliber, right? Whether it was Shutt, whether it was Lemaire, whether it was uh, the Lesser Mavlich, you know, whoever it was, we're not talking about guys who were very clearly could easily have been the best player on that team. Um, so I don't know whether or not it's true, but I have definitely heard people refer to him as the like best forward between um, Howe and Gretzky. So, like, if that's true, that puts him up in a very rarefied tier, right? Like, maybe yeah. top five, top ten forwards ever. On the other hand, 
there's this thing that you have to get around, which is that like his first three seasons are are fine. They're nothing special. Then he has these six years where he is very clearly the best player in the world. And then overall, obviously not every single season, but overall for that six year period. And then he has the car accident. Like you said, Bill, even like, I don't know what night that car accident was, but like, you said near the end of the 81 season, right? Yeah, so it was uh, March 24th. Yeah, so he, he had already, his scoring had already started the slow. And so I'm not saying it would have gotten, he, it wouldn't have happened so drastically had he not had the car accident. I think it's safe to say it, it wouldn't have declined that drastically. But the decline is stark, right? Like, he's going from 125 points to 70. And then, and yes, he's missing games. But, like, it's it's a point per game drop off of uh um point three and then the next year it's another point one down and then another point one five and then and then point three again and then you know and then he after that one more year he retires it's it's really stark and yeah. and it's like so how do you reckon with a guy who was maybe for at least six years he might have been one of the best you know five or 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 seven forwards in the history of the league, but then he wasn't that for, you know, how, how many, what did I say? How many years total did he play? 13 or something? Yeah. Sorry, 17, 17. Yeah. Well, I, I, I forgot about the unretirement. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. It's 14. If you, if you, uh, if you don't rec- include the comeback. So basically for almost half his career, he was very much, very close to the best player in the world, if not the best player in the world. And then the other half, he was between just an okay player and like a clearly hobbled <laughs> former star, depending on what part of the, the career you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, you know, it's, it, I think it just, that's when he hit his peak, it was brilliant. And you know, the rest of his career was very, very good. But when he was at his best, it was like, man, he was, he was unstoppable. Like the guy was, you know, such a fast player and had such a big shot and just, you know, was flying all over the ice. And he's, uh, he, he was sort of that, that superstar player that you need to push a very good team from one that might win one cup to a dynasty, right? So, yeah. um, having a, a 50 goal, 100 point guy on your team every year is, is pretty nice. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, that those teams were, you know, arguably the best teams ever, um, or at least NHL teams ever. But uh yeah, it's just it's just fascinating how like, you know, the the drop off. <laughs> by the way, he got MVP voting in that season that he got in a car accident. Really? Yeah. For, finished fourteenth overall, but still. He missed he missed uh thirty nine games. Sorry, twenty nine games. Still a lot. That's a lot of games to miss. And some and someone was like somebody clearly Montreal based was like Yeah, so fourteenth overall means he got one vote. <laughs> some Montreal writer was yeah. like, Yeah, but he's still the best player. I don't care if he's not anymore. Oh. <laughs> um anyway, um yeah, I mean, I mean, clearly he's one of the best, you know, couple right wings ever. Um, yep. But it is his, the career arc is just very, very different 
than some people. Especially for somebody who didn't have, like, a clear, obvious hockey injury, given, you know. But car accidents are nothing to, you know, take lightly. It's just interesting. Because yeah. it really was stark. And and like I said, it, it there was some decline before the car accident, if you go by his... Uh, his yeah, well, don't, don't forget that the Habs had gone from that dynasty team to, uh, you know, Lafleur and the rest of the Canadians, kind of, you know. <laughs> yeah. There was, uh, there was a fairly big drop-off from they lost uh they ended up losing to the north stars right so it's uh i think in round one of 1980 they lost to the north yeah and then in in 81 the accident they got swept by the oilers there you go yeah their stars were uh one of their stars was mark Napier. so there you go (laughs) yeah all right um so buddy o'connor <laughs> I mean, with the Hart Trophy, you can see the argument. I, yeah. yeah, I guess. Yeah, Brad Park. Yes. Yes. Uh, Me too. I, I think you know. I mean, it's not it's not his fault. Bobby Orr was born, right? I mean, otherwise, yeah. he'd have a lot <laughs> yeah. more. He'd have a lot more hardware in the trophy than he does. So, and you know, yeah. I, I think it's. I think everyone universally acknowledges that he was fantastic and just happened to play when Orr and Bob Van were playing or two of the all-time greats. So. Yeah. Tony Esposito. Oh, uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And lastly, there's really no debate. Guy Lafleur. Yes, he should be in. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so that is it for this episode. And we have the 87 class. Uh, will be coming up next. And I actually don't, off the top of my head, I don't think I know who's in it. So I'm just going to glance. Um, 87 is, uh, oh, Bobby Clark, um, Jacques Leperriere, who will be interesting for sure. And, mm-hmm. So I actually have no idea how to pronounce Eddie Giacomin. Is it Giacomin? I actually don't know either. Yeah, because I, like, he just very much before my time, um, yeah. Ranger, Rangers star goalie, but I, I, I don't actually know how to pronounce his name. Anyway, those guys. So, um, because, and, and we are now, at least officially done with the uh, the veteran committee, even though I see in 86 there's a guy who was clearly inducted by some early version of it. So, um, All right, so uh, thank you for listening, and we will see you next time.